How can we draw more adults toward peace and compromise instead of discord and division? I would say the first thing we have to learn how to do is listen. Uh, we should try to be careful not to speak in judgmental terms that puts down the position that we believe they uh, hold. Uh, this, is, this is the crux of the dilemma that I think our country is now facing because right now we're dealing with winners and losers, but sooner or later we've got to deal with each other on how, what sort of a country do we want and how do we achieve that common goal that honors each one of us. Thank you for listening. I, 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 I don't have any other ideas on responding to that particular question. Hello, and welcome to the My Neighbor's Voice podcast. I'm your host, Russell Evans. We just heard from Paul answering the question, how can we draw more adults towards peace and compromise instead of discord and division? I wanted to begin the podcast with Paul's response because his answer so beautifully sums up what we are trying to do at My Neighbor's Voice. To quote him for a minute, right now we are dealing with winners and losers, but sooner or later we've got to deal with each other. What sort of country do we want, and how do we achieve that common goal that honors each one of us? For the next half hour, you are going to get the opportunity to hear ordinary citizens, just like you, listening to each other and discussing where we want to go as a people. In today's episode, racial issues come up frequently, as well as other topics that really hone in on what it means to be an American right now. How do we treat death? How do we view our public schools? What is it like to be an immigrant? Before we get to all that though, I need to tell you a short story first. A friend recently asked me, what has been the most inspiring answer you have heard moderating these forums? As the curator of the podcast, there's certainly some participants whose words continue to echo in my head. Those are the ones I do my best to include here. But what is more important is the whole. It's the interaction and the little comments, the smiles and the sighs that make it all remarkable. It is people coming together to just be with each other. So I encourage you to join us, sign up on our website. We'd love to hear your voice and your perspective, however big or small. Connecting in this way is good enough. The other thing that I've noticed on a very personal level is that My Neighbor's Voice has been such a useful tool for me to understand issues around race. I can listen to Brian Stevenson's TED Talk or read books about the civil rights movement, but these forums, these forums, have given me the first opportunity in my life to regularly have long and meaningful conversations with African Americans. I'm a 40-year-old white dude who lives in rural Colorado, and for so many of us, it's hard to get out of our cocoon. I am so blessed for each other's perspectives and the opportunity to listen. So, without further ado, I get to share today's episode. It's a group of Americans, white and black, grappling with issues we all face in a useful and productive way. Let's get started. We'll begin with Monique. What does liberty and justice for all mean to you? Do you think most Americans share your understanding? Hmm. I think liberty and justice has to 
also include how you're raised and what kind of situation you were raised in, that sort of thing. I think a lot of things happen like in the form of police judges, that kind of thing um, are quite right. I saw a lot of differences teaching school and there's kids that need a lot of understanding. Um, and what I saw is kids that had more tended to get psychological help. They tended to get therapy when they needed it. They had people there willing to help them. If there was something up, parents would help them. Teachers would help them. Um, so I think there's a lot of differences between the type of wealth children have, but so maybe they weren't taught how to keep a clean house or how to do things properly or how to speak to people in a proper way and there's a lot of problems from that so I think there does need to be more leeway and more help given to children and to young adults and people in their lives and more understanding from others so people can reach their potential. So that's all I can think to say about that. Thank you for listening. Next, we have June speaking about her experience with public education. Public schools were originally designed to be the cornerstone of our great national experiment. What are your ideas about or experiences with public education today? Well, first I have to tell you, I'm so thankful for public school teachers who are caring, who really give so much to our generation. And I think they should be better rewarded financially and in lots of other ways, because they are the ones who are building our future generation. And I, so I think one of the, uh, things I think we need to esteem them better, to pour more into them, these teachers, um, because again, they are laying the foundation that will make a difference in our, our society down the road. Um, and so I initially, it was very interesting because our kids, we lived overseas, and so we moved back to um, the States from Ukraine, and we, um, I had kids in kindergarten, fourth grade, and sixth grade trying to figure out their American school system. And so it was, um, so it was quite a learning curve for me, um, but I grew to really appreciate what our public schools are because we did not experience that um, in Ukraine. And we had some good school experiences, but I, I do appreciate the system that we have. I, I'm very thankful for the opportunities that our school provides to the diverse group of people in our country. What are uh, my ideas or experiences with the public school today, education today? Um, I am in favor of giving opportunities and options to parents to, so they can be well-informed to make decisions, whether it's a charter school or homeschool or the public, the traditional public school. I think that we need to empower parents to feel that they are a part of the system rather than just turning their kids over. And so I also um, think it's wonderful when parents get involved with parent nights and reading to kids. And so I think we need to involve families even more in the school system because they can make a difference and um, be good role models as well to other kids who might not have that at home. And so um, again, I'm very thankful for the system that the school that we do have. I um, am concerned about 
some of the um, standards and teaching justice standards versus it being as individualized. So that's why I am a proponent of choices within schools and um, giving a variety. At our school district, we have magnet programs so kids can really find what fits well for them. So I think that is a direction in which I would like to see our schools continue to go all, all around the US. Another thing I'm a proponent of in the school system is trying to teach another language at an early age. So thank you for listening. In our next selection, this is David speaking about his experience with hospice. In general, Americans avoid talking about death in any context. Do you think we would benefit from more openness around end of life experiences and issues? Uh, yeah, I, I do think we would. Um, it's, um, you know, as, as uh, we in our family had different uh, family members who have had, um, you know, been involved or had, had the services of hospice and um, a different kind of approach to, um, you know, the end of life being rather than just being a, uh, you know, you're in a hospital and it's, we're going to do everything we can to make sure that you live as long as you possibly can. Um, you know, at least in that context, it's more about the quality of life and the quality of the, that experience, which is natural in as that is death. And so, um, you know, it's hard for all of us, but, you know, I think talking about it, like with most things, it gives you, um, it, it, you know, fear and, and anxiety happens when you don't have really understanding. And the more that you talk about it, I think, there is more and more understanding. And, uh, you know, so I, I think we would all benefit. I, you know, you, it affects healthcare, it affects all kinds of things. I mean, we have, uh, you know, uh, a huge portion of our, of our uh, GNP goes to healthcare and largely for, you know, a huge portion, the, the last probably year or two of the average person's life. And so I think we could all benefit uh, from, from really a discussion about that and uh, what, what makes sense for us. Thank you for listening. Now we are going to return to Monique speaking about wealth and what it means to be happy and have enough. Many people spend their life energy making money. How much do you think is enough money and why? I don't know. It's hard, it's hard to say. I mean, we didn't have a lot starting out. And I was always perfectly happy. Um, didn't have a lot when my kids were little. I mean, there'd be times I'd be making breakfast for dinner, <laughs> that kind of thing uh, to make it fun. Um, my husband worked nonstop and I'd be with the kids, that kind of stuff, um, because we were making a living and doing what we needed to do. Um, but I've been pretty much happy through it all. So I guess, I don't know, it's, it's hard to say. We, 
never increased our spending habits that much after college for a really long time. We just kept it simple and we weren't spoiled at that time. So we just kept it super simple and we didn't feel a need to keep trying to climb and that kind of thing early on. And we were just happy. The kids were happy. Kids didn't care. They don't care how much money you have. So I think it's all about just being happy with where you are and being comfortable with where you are. You have a roof over your head, you have hot water, you got some food, even if it's breakfast for dinner. Mm -hmm. So I think it's all just perspective and not expecting more, just being glad when you do have more than just the few needs that you have. So maybe it's just a mindset. Thank you for listening. You heard from Paul at the beginning of the episode. Here he is again. What is your personal experience with the LGBTQIA community? How do you think we should ensure the rights of these citizens? I haven't had any personal experience with that community, but I've, I've been aware of, of a lot of issues involving the community um, uh, just through the news. Back 30 or 40 years ago when I was younger, uh, I, don't know, I don't know what the QIA stands for. And back at that, in that days, we used the letter Q to be the first letter in a, in a derogatory term. Mm -hmm. so I don't even know <clears throat> how that got back into the, uh, the, the terminology oh. of this community, but uh, I think we should, should ensure the rights of, of all citizens uh, and what they do in their personal life and what uh, their own sense of self is, is really not something that we should be uh, interfering with. Um, <clears throat> So I didn't, I don't think I've said too much about the subject, but thank you for listening to the very little that I did say. We are going to shift now with an answer from Celeste. The worldwide conversation has recently shifted around race relations. What are your observations? What gives you hope? Well, I think some of the things that give me hope is that um, this round of conversations seem to be global and not just confined to the United States and not just defined uh, between one race and other races. I'm seeing people of all different backgrounds involved in the conversation. Um, some of my observations, though, quite frankly, are some companies that have been around forever that have had employees um, bring issues to them, have dealt with EEO complaints, um, have dealt with class action lawsuits, are, are jumping up, saying they're going to do stuff, saying they're going to fund different programs. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, what took so long? <laughs> you, you knew it was there because, you know, my background is 25 years corporate HR. And I worked for a big company, and I know these issues are coming up all the time. People feel that they've been discriminated against or 
um, disenfranchised or um, harassed and most large companies have policies and procedures in place so that they could limit their liability, but not necessarily fix or address the issues. They do basic um, across the board training for employees, but really getting employees to the table and talking about things. Most big companies say the things that we want you to not talk about at work are race, gender, religion, political views, things like that. So you really are just doing a blanket conversation and then telling your employees it's not safe to talk about those things at work. And that's part of the problem. So I have hope that now companies will really um, allow employees to bring them, their full selves to work and have conversations in a, in a way that um, people will at least listen. They don't have to necessarily agree, but at least uh, give employees the freedom of bringing them, their full selves to work which I think one will make the work environments much more productive. Employees will be much more satisfied and our communities will be much more um, way better because if you have happy employees and productive companies, you, you generate more wealth in your communities. And, and I truly think that could be a solution for helping with some of the um, vast differences between economic wealth in our communities. Thank you for listening. Victoria is one of the founders of My Neighbor's Voice. Here is her reflection on race issues in her area. Okay. Um, what is your greatest frustration concerning racial issues in our area? What is one area that you have that might make a positive change? What is one idea? Sorry. Some issues that we might want to think about are lack of equal opportunities for jobs, home ownership, education, health care, unequal access to justice, banking, and public facilities. Um, well, I, uh, I think we are at a new crossroads for um, facing and confronting and embracing our racial issues in our in our community and certainly in our our country and I hope you know I, I I was happy to hear earlier that this is also maybe a global movement that that maybe we're just beginning we're just beginning but it sound it feels like this is new it feels like it is intense and it feels like we will make some strides um I I know that there are lots of movement in Greenville about you know addressing some housing and what what that is and what it has been like in um, in in terms of ownership and and property and inheritance and just having a leg up in the world. So I'm I I am hopeful, um, but I think we also can't let this ball drop, and we can't ever ever forget what this summer has been on this planet and in this country and in our world. So I am right now, I'm still very, very hopeful that we're going to maintain that energy. But I think um, 
everybody, but certainly white Americans need to look look at ourselves a little bit and look at um and look at it in the light of things like healthcare and a COVID pandemic, um, access to justice, um, just getting alone. These things I think we have just not ever considered and not ever thought anything about because we didn't have to, because we've had privilege that we just didn't even know we had and that uh, or that anyone else didn't have. Um, so I think we are at a good place because we're also in a hard place and we need to own it. And um, I'm certainly going to try to to keep my momentum in that way. So thanks for listening. Next, we have Barbara speak about her experiences with the police force. I want to apologize in advance for the audio quality. I included this section though, because I found her story so moving. You have one idea for strengthening our police force for the greater good. My personal experiences for the most part have been very good. I mean, my father, a lot of his friends were state troopers. He would come over to our house and play poker in the basement, which before <laughs> at that point it was not legal, but we had <laughs> cars in the driveway. <laughs> but they were all nice people. I have joined a group, a Facebook group called Be the Bridge to Race, Racial Reconciliation. And I learned a lot there about that not everybody has such good experiences with the police. So I had one that was a little more different. I was the first one, second one to stop at a car accident. And it was a young black man. And he was, I mean, he was nervous. He didn't want the police called. And so finally, I just said, I don't want this to sound weird, but are you afraid because of the color of your skin? And he said, yes. I said, okay, I'll stay here with you. Um, and even then, it was the first policeman to show up was a friend. He lives around the corner, nice guy. But when I told him that I was not leaving this guy, I was going to stay right with him. And why, I, I explained why, I told him the question I asked and the way the man answered. And I could just see this. Oh, guys are weird or crazy or something. I think he just doesn't get it either, just by the look. Um, so I, an idea for strengthening our police force for the greater good. It's really hard. I don't know that there's an easy answer, but there's definitely not an easy answer for that because so much is history and embedded just in each individual, you know, with um, biases that people don't realize they have and frequently are not willing to admit they have, they're not willing to look at it. So they can't get rid of the bias if they won't even admit that they have it. To heal any relationship 
if wrongdoing occurred, it has to be admitted and then it can be forgiven and the relationship can be healed, the trust can build. And like as far as racism, white privilege, whiteness, a lot of different words that apply to it, if as a country, as groups of people, as white evangelical Christians, no matter what group you're in, if there was any part of how, if any part of that has contributed to racism, whiteness, white privilege, then that needs to be admitted. And we, because otherwise, if we just try and say, I'm just going to treat everybody nice and move on from there. Mm. that doesn't heal any relationships and it doesn't it doesn't build any trust in people who have been hurt and broken by those who did wrong and won't admit it and just want to pretend everything's good and we're going to just move forward so yes we have to move, be positive but at the same time we need to be realistic and look at getting people, people groups together is look at it as relationship. And if we're just gonna brush everything in the past under the rug like it never happened, that relationship isn't gonna build. We have just two answers left. The first comes from David, who you heard from earlier. At the end of the forum, this is what he had to say. And I appreciate your, your thoughtful answers. Um, you know, each of you, you know, concerned about trying to really think and, and, uh, and get into it. I, um, I'm struck, you know, we're, we're all responding to the last four years in our politics and it you know is kind of the root of the my neighbor's voice but uh you know so much of looking at to me the cup is half empty and around division and separation and what's wrong and anger and fear and insecurity um you know so much in life there's a, a lightness and a darkness and we've had so much of a uh focus on that darkness rather than all of the things that are light, you know, um, in terms of uh, what's good, um, how do we work together, how are our differences and how do they make us better? And, um, you know, how, what, what are the things that made this country great? Uh, being a place of opportunity and how having, the oppor having a chance to focus on opportunity is, uh, really you know what what has made us a great country it's that we are a place where people can uh from all different walks of life uh are have been able to do that now that being said there are there are structural there is structural racism and there are barriers to um with poverty that that you know 95 percent of people who are born into poverty are going to be in poverty again. 
Um, I mean, they will remain in poverty. And so, you know, the question is, do we really have an ability to, uh, you know, move class to class? I, I think um, depends where you sit. And there are so many, you know, additional barriers put in place for many people. But these are good. These are, um, are positive things to talk about. And um, I certainly welcome the time, the opportunity for us to, as a community, be focusing on positive and unifying messages and thoughts rather than divisive ones. And with that, we'll close with Sophia. What was one of the hardest things you have ever done in your personal, academic, or professional life? <laughs> well, one of the hardest things was for me to leave my country where I am, where I was quite happy, but not happy enough not to leave. Mm -hmm. uh, and start a new life in a, a completely strange environment, strange to me, learn, learn a language that I haven't spoken for the first 26 years of my life and adopt to the local customs and expectations. Um, ever since I had to deal with the fact that I was separated from my family for years and only see them later on, only see them occasionally, of course, because of the distance. And that made my academic experience more difficult too, because it's not easy to study when your mind is on things like how do I support myself without my family here to rely on my family? How do I find a part-time job while I am in school? And all those questions that need to be solved professionally. It was hard too, because when I was looking for a job as a foreigner, competing with local American students. <laughs> one of the, one of the response from when I was submitted an application for a job, the CEO of the company wrote back to me and, and I'm sure if I was, if I was a man, I wouldn't have heard that response, but he said, you are educated to the level of upper uselessness. So don't expect a job. Was there any community expectation, support, or encouragement? I had a lot of encouragement, and I was very blessed having wonderful friends that I could rely on and, and go to when I was in need support. So that that was wonderful. So that this is a very personal thing, and I don't even know how it's difficult to talk about it, but this was the question, so thank you for listening. <laughs> so one, one, one of the virtues of this this whole experience that you've created is that it takes us out of our little cocoons so that we can see that there are other people they don't know the answer to everything anymore than we know the answer to <laughs>
we're all occupy the same planet. So it's better if we can feel uh, neighborly toward each other. Yes, I think you've got it. <laughs> yes, this has been wonderful. It's so good to meet you all because um, some of you. We encourage you to join us to participate in a forum. They always take place on the second Thursday of each month. The next one will be held on January 14th. You can sign up at myneighborsvoice.org. Also, if you found this podcast moving and useful, please share it with others. Maybe they'll listen. Maybe they'll find something inspiring. Maybe they'll join us one day. Thank you for listening. Be well.